Well, 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 welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, and boy, do we have some good stuff for you. We're going to hit right out of the gate here in the lab with me and Drew Doherty. We talked a lot today about running backs. We kind of swept up the finale of all that we talked about with the Deshaun Watson trade. And then we got to talking about what to do with these picks, and we got on running backs. And that just started me down a path of really thinking about, <clears throat> excuse me, day two, day three running backs, even some undrafted guys. I just loved, like last year, I remember hearing a lot of guys, oh, these running backs class, this running back class isn't that good. This guy's not that good. And then before you know it, Chuba Hubbard's doing things in Carolina, Ramondre Stevenson uh, at Oklahoma. Those are two guys uh, at Oklahoma at with New England. Those are two guys I loved, loved. And they just get no love from throughout the draft community. So it was, it was cool to see them do well. I think this class has got even more. It doesn't have a Najee Harris that's going to go in the first round, I don't think. Travis Etienne, there's a little bit of a surprise he won the first round, maybe where he went. There's, I don't think one of those guys. But between Brees Hall and Kenny Walker, and uh, who I saw uh, yesterday, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, local, bo- a local homeboy, those guys all, one of those three, man, it would be nice. But if you don't get one of those three, man, it doesn't, there's, there's so much more fruit hanging from the running back tree. So we're going to get into that in just a bit. And then Justin Williams from The Athletic is going to join DP City to talk about sauce. Yeah, sauce is the boss. Or the boss is sauce. That's what it's going to be when he becomes a Houston Texan. Well, maybe. That's Sauce Gardner, the corner. Out of Detroit, Michigan, played for the Cincinnati Bearcats. If you've seen him play, I'm sure at some point if you followed the Bearcats or college, college football, you've heard, hey, nobody caught a touchdown pass on Sauce Gardner. Eh, his uh, analysis is a little bit more than that. But Justin Williams knows him inside and out, having covered him with the athletic. We'll have that for you uh, in the next segment. And then, of course, at the end, we'll go around the NFL and close up shop anything that does happen. But we got a few things we need to hit right out of the shoot. We're going to stay with the Texans first. First, now, what the Texans did today was just made official a lot of things we already knew. The Texans signed two free agents, Kyle Allen, Dario Ogunbowale, running back from Wisconsin, quarterback from Texas A&M slash University of Houston. They also signed the following unrestricted free agents, A.J. Can, the guard, played with the Jaguars, Chris Conley, been with the Texans, Obo Okoronkwo from A. Leaf Taylor, played with Oklahoma and then the L.A. Rams, Scott Quesenberry, who we know is the brother of David Quisenberry and Paul Quisenberry. So we got two of the Quisenberries here in Houston. And then a guy that I loved, loved, loved coming out of Tennessee, and that was Jalen Reeves-Maben. The Texans waived the following player, Josh Watson. Also with the Texans, sources have put out there, and by sources, well, you know who those guys are in Houston, that the Texans have apparently signed fullback, and he's a true fullback, Andy Janovich, out of the Cleveland Browns are from the Cleveland Browns. The Texans haven't had a true fullback in, well, I, sh- I should say they haven't had a true fullback. They haven't had one active for the most part. Now, Paul Quisenberry is a fullback. He would work out with the tight ends, but he's a fullback. He just wasn't active throughout the year. I think maybe but for one game he was active, uh, which was very cool. But that's it. But now there's two. Now there's Paul Quisenberry and there's Andy Janovich, apparently, 
Look, we've seen some some free agent deals that don't come through. Zadarius Smith is a great example of that. Uh, Randy Gregory changed his mind, apparently, and there have been others. But it appears that Andy Janovich is a Houston Texan. We'll see when that is made official. But those moves, those names I just mentioned, all official Texans today, which means they passed the physical. They did everything they needed to do, and they found themselves in the building, which is very good. Now, let's get to the massive news of the day. Tyreek Hill is no longer a Kansas City Chief. Now, I've, I've tried to, I was thinking about this all day. How do I frame this? What's the first thing I say? Is it Tyreek gets traded to the Dolphins? The Dolphins make the trade for Tyreek Hill? The Jets and Dolphins were in it on Tyreek Hill? The Chiefs got a lot of draft capital back? But the first thing that really hit me was Tyreek's gone from Kansas City. And whenever the Texans got ready to play Kansas City, he was the guy. And I remember in 2016, he was a rookie. And the Texans had lost the year before opener, and they had lost the playoff game in 2015. And so it was game number two of 2016. They'd beaten the Bears in uh, the first game of the year. And they wanted a little bit of peace of the Chiefs. And Tyreek was a rookie. And at that point, I don't think they truly knew what to do with Tyreek. He had been a running back in college. They're trying to do this kind of Weapon X thing with him. And it really wasn't happening in week two. But it kind of caught fire later in the year. And then he became the Tyreek Hill that we all know and a dangerous weapon. But I remember saying there at a pregame show, I, Mike Meltzer had asked me about this Chiefs offense. I said, look out for rookie Tyreek Hill. Now that day, he didn't do much against the Texans. They tried to give it to him a few times. They shut down some jet sweeps. And then that was it. And the Texans ended up winning a big ball game to go to 2-0 in 2016. From that point forward, Tyreek was a major pain in the you-know-what to face. But he's no longer with Kansas City. Now, Kansas City is not worse for wear. They still have Travis Kelsey. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster. Miko Hardman has been uh, asking for plenty of playing time, and he's going to get a lot of that with no Tyreek. But Tyreek's different, man. Tyreek is absolutely different. I never classified him as a true receiver. I never said he's a receiver. And so it was always tough because people say, well, why don't you have Tyreek as your best receiver in the league? And I'm like, he's more than that. He's more than a receiver. The way that he is used, the threat that he is on the field, he scared me every single time we played him. And I know in 2019, when we went to Arrowhead and Tyreek was back, the first drive of the game, they go deep to him and he goes and picks it off of I think it may have been Justin Reed, maybe. It may have been Sean Gibson. I can't remember. He goes and picks it off the top of his head, dives in the end zone. I thought, oh, this is going to be a long day. Caught another touchdown. But that day, Kansas City just couldn't stop the run game. And in the fourth quarter, they were completely shut down uh, by, this, by the Texas defense. But Tyreek always, always scared me. Now, that's what I thought was the most important part because Kansas City's been such a vital AFC power. They've been that team. I don't know if they are anymore. That's how much I think Tyreek means. Now, Patrick Mahomes is still slinging at Travis Kelsey. They're still going to be dangerous. Don't, don't get me wrong. But Ty, the, the mystique of Tyreek, you had to know where he was. You had to figure, how are you going to account for him? Oh, my. He just He's a problem. So the Chiefs end up getting in that discussion of, boy, AFC West has made a lot of additions, and then the best player arguably in the division, the non-quarterback at least, 
goes out of the division, whew, man, all those improvements. Uh, we mentioned it the other day. Who's got a better pass slash pass catching you know, trio duo, Raiders, Waller, Renfro, Devontae Adams with their car, or Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill? I mean, the Raiders have three weapons. The Chiefs have two. Well, now they have one. Now, the other guys are going to be okay, but they're not Tyreek. Doesn't scare me a whole heck of a lot anymore. Now, Miami does. Mike Kosicki, Jalen Waddle, and Tyreek Hill. My goodness. Not that Tua Tungavailoa is an excuse maker, because he's not. It's not him at all. The way that he handled all that nonsense last year about the trade, a potential trade, and he just went about his business, got them a few wins. Look, he is not a polished product. But, and again, like I said, he's not an excuse maker. There are no excuses now, though. Like, if, if it doesn't hit this year for Tua, it isn't because they haven't added offensive linemen. Ooh, Teron Armstead, left tackle. Chase Edmonds, running back. Tyreek added to Jalen Waddell, Mike Kosicki. They've got every, and Mike McDaniel, head coach. They've got everything they need in Miami. If Tua is that, then Miami's going to be dangerous. Dangerous. And, of course, we get to see, can, uh, we get to see Miami. Well, actually, we see both teams. So we'll see Tyreek. He'll just be wearing uh, aqua instead of wearing the Chiefs red. So big news in the NFL. The Chiefs end up getting a first rounder. I think it's pick 29. They get pick number 50. Uh, and a few other picks along the way. Good deal for the Chiefs. They can reset, and there'll be some receivers at the bottom of the round that they can lock into to add to that mix if they want to go in that direction. I think they still need defense, in all honesty. They still need some edge help, and I think you can get at the bottom of the round, too. So interesting to see what Kansas City does, but Miami takes on Tyreek Hill. Massive contract as well. Big news out of the NFL today. All right. Let's get to our In the Lab discussion. We talk a little bit about the big trade that went down. Drew Doherty and I on In the Lab last week. You know, the one we're talking about. And we talk about running backs right here on In the Lab. We do this podcast once a week. We didn't do one last week because the Texans were in limbo because of everything going on with the trade. But now it's official. The Texans have three ones, a three, and two fours from Cleveland over the next few years, which means they've got six ones in the next three years combined. And in this draft, they have 11 picks overall. So many in the top, like 108. Where do we start, John? 3, 13, 37, 68, 80, <laughs> 107, 108. There's a lot of really good players. You and I do this, and we've talked about it. We do this mock draft simulator on pff.com or the draftnetwork.com. It's a lot of fun. And typically, we just say, you know, we send send the results to one another, and we say the Texans got better today, John. <laughs> but at three and thirteen, you've got lots and lots and lots of options to make big changes for the better for your football team. That is very true. Uh, I the baseline seemingly in this was were the three first rounders, and you can look at that. How many? And a lot of people have looked at this trade <laughs> ten different ways. And it has felt like most national writers are like, hey, man, the Texans did really well. I think locally, because it had been talked about so often that I think Sean Pendergast put it best on a tweet. He said he had gassed himself up to believe that the Texans were going to get certain things in this trade. I think when you step back and you look at it, they got six picks. 
They're going to have two additional picks as it stands just from the trade right now. This year, a first and a fourth. Next year, a first and a third. And then year three, 2024, will be a first and a fourth. So extra draft capital on top of the fact that you have your full allotment of picks, which is not something that you've had. So you're going to pick seven times in the top 108. And if you just want a basis of comparison, as it sits right now, seven times the top 108, basis of comparison, Texans drafted twice in the top 150, I think it was, last year. Yeah. So seven in the top 108, twice in 150 last year. So you've got some ammunition. And now, I said this right after the draft, right after the trade was over, Drew, the fact that, because you now have the assets to do something with. Look, having Sean Watson was an asset at obviously at the end. He was not a, a playing asset. He was an asset. And he brought back a lot of draft assets. So, you know, Sean Watson himself wasn't going to help you in the draft, but the trade assets you were getting back were going to help you because now you can decide, all right, we want to trade down. We want to add additional picks. We want to turn pick number, I don't know, 37 into two other picks, uh, a third, and maybe a second next year. I mean, who knows what you turn one pick into. So at that point, it was just important for Nick to get the apps, the, the actual assets. Now you can do something with those assets. And that's, uh, that's the, the important thing, I think, in all this is having these assets. And you mentioned numbers, and we'll know them all by heart. 313, 37, 68, 80, mm-hmm. 107, 108. I would venture of those seven numbers we just mentioned. I would They're going to get maybe, jiggled. Yeah, four of them might be in the, in the actual spot that it, it started in. But it's just the word that Nick Casario kept coming back to. In fact, I think he said it in the very first um, like couple – sentences when he started talking about this was clarity yeah everybody's got everybody's got clarity for the most part at least in houston now cleveland's gonna have to deal with some stuff as far as a potential suspension and all that kind of stuff and cleveland now because deshaun watson is part of that organization has got to sit out uh what this legal situation uh, have to uh go through what this legal situation is going to be here in houston we have clarity and that is we have draft picks and we have a lot of them, and we have an opportunity to take this team from where it was in 21 and turn it into something in 2022 and continue to build it on a pretty sound foundation going forward. And I know this thing is still pretty raw for a lot of people. I mean, heck, it's, it's raw for, for us. We've been in the building for these last how many ever you know, years going through uh, what this situation turned into. So we're all impacted by it one way or the other. Looking back doesn't do us any good. You know, we understand where the where the mistakes were made or not made or, or what happened or how, how we got here. We don't know, but we got here. So now what do you do going forward? And that to me is the most important part. Now, when you're crying in your beer and you want to look back and go, man, it was OK, fine. Go cry in your beer about yesteryear. We want to move forward. Look at these picks and what the Texans can do. And here's one other thing. And I tell you this quick story, Drew, but we're on a podcast. So people listen. I got a call last year, probably about the spring, uh, late spring or uh, early spring. And it was one of my buddies who's an agent. And he said, y'all got a big problem on your hands. And I'm like, okay, 
that could go that could go a lot of different ways. Is he talking about me? Is he talking about what? I don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about Texans. I said, man, we what do you mean? We got a big problem on our hands. Who are you talking about? And he said, the NFL. And he goes, y'all are going against a bunch of guys that do this for a living. And what he was getting at was the fact that with the extra year that the NCAA granted as far as eligibility goes to college players, a lot of them chose to go back to college and play that final year or play another year. Uh, they were granted an extra year, and there are a lot of guys that took advantage of it. And so last year's draft didn't have the depth that we're used to seeing in a draft. That all got pushed back to 2022, and it'll take a few years before it sort of thins itself out again, I guess, if you will. So this draft has got a ton of depth. Now, it's not one of those where guys drafted in the fourth round would have been first rounders, nothing like that. But it's just made this draft pretty hardy at a lot of different positions and a lot of different positions that the Texans can use on this team going forward. And let's be brutally honest about it. We can look at a lot of players at a lot of different positions for this team. I don't think you look at one position, you go, nope, not doing it, not doing it. Maybe punter. Um, and there's a great punter in this draft, but I think punter is about the only one. So from that standpoint, you've got draft assets. You've got an opportunity to reset this thing in what seemingly is a pretty deep draft. And now we get to sit back and watch Nick you know, go to work on draft weekend. And we know there'll be players coming back, some young players coming back. We know there'll be some first rounders coming back. And that's going to be exciting since we haven't had them in three years uh, since Titus Howard was taking the first round. That's the last first rounder we've had. Um, and he is the only first rounder that the Texans have <laughs> that's still that's still with the team. So that's kind of 2018. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you go, got to go back to Watson to get somebody before him. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really it's going to be fun, man. And we haven't I like you were at College Station on Tuesday for their pro day for the Aggies pro day. So was Nick Casario. So was Lovey Smith. Smith is in. um Columbus, Ohio right now. He's at the Ohio yep. State Pro Day. He's going to scoot over to Cincinnati for Thursday's Pro Day. The Bearcats have a lot of players that are going to go up in the middle of the first round all throughout the draft. They're, they're a quality, quality team. It's going to be fun to see who out of those crews that have become most familiar with college football fans, you know, Alabama, Georgia, I think Cincinnati to a degree. Yep. A lot of people know about what they've got and Michigan, um, because Lovey Smith was at the Michigan Pro Day as well last week. Right. I can't wait to see what happens. And there's so much you, – you bring up depth, and I think the position that stands out the most as far as depth, at least when we do these little fake mock drafts, is running back. Yeah. At the tippy top of the second yep. round, all the way through you know, the sixth, there's guys that I, like legitimately I think could start for the Texans. And I'm saying you could take a guy in the sixth yes. round that could come in and start immediately. Yes. It looks like based on what they did in college, based on what they project to do in the future, there's all sorts of guys available. And if there's literally like 12 of them where if you said, what about this guy? I'd be like, cool. What about this yeah. guy? Okay. I'm fine with that. And there's, there's some scintillating ones at the tip top of that crop, but uh, there's quality, quality ones down at the bottom of it below, uh, below that tip top, I think. Yeah. And I got a chance to see one of them yesterday. I say Spiller yeah. from out of Texas A&M. Goodness. You know, it's interesting seeing seeing these guys up close without their helmets on. I mean, I've watched Isaiah Spiller run the ball. I don't – I mean, I may have seen every single run he's had in his career. And he's standing near me, and he's talking to a scout from the Arizona Cardinals. And 
at the time I didn't know it was him. I had to double check. It kind of looked body wise like him, but it's like, man, he's got a baby face. He looks like he's about 12. <laughs> he looks like he's they're 12, young. Man, man, these guys are young. I know. I know. And, and he just, you know, he ran in the, the, you know, high four, five, low four, six range, which to me is, is, is fine. I mean, we've seen running backs that run four, six, I think Dalvin cooks combine time was like four, six, four. Uh, and I think Dalvin's done fine. Yeah. So I don't worry too much about that sort of thing to, to a degree. Now, right. The remainder of the Aggie crew didn't run exceptionally well. And I know there's been a lot of talk about Jalen Watermeyer, the tight end. I think the guy can still play, but man, he did not hit a lot of athletic thresholds, uh, which is unfortunate because I think he's got, he's got an opportunity. He's got glue sticks for hands, runs really good routes. He's difficult to cover, but man, just athletically speaking, just did not have a, a, a tremendous day, uh, at AM Pro Day, I thought Spiller did. I thought he caught the ball very well out of the backfield. The thing, I don't want to say holding Spiller back actually has nothing to do with Spiller. It just has everything to do with the two guys in front of him, Brees Hall and Kenny Walker. Brees Hall from Iowa State blew it up at the combine, uh, as did Kenny Walker. They both ran, I think, in 437, 438, 439 mm-hmm. range, somewhere in that range. Uh, big, stout, tough running backs, quick, explosive to holes and you know, to and through holes. I've said before, you could give me any one of those three running backs, Hall, uh, Walker, or Spiller, and I'd be very happy. Thing is, and Nick said this to us the other day, he said, look, you can't fall in love with prospects because that'll force you to do some things that maybe you don't want to do or should do during a draft. I don't want to fall in love with any of these three backs because behind them, there's a Brian Robinson, there's Kyron Williams, uh, there's Damian Pierce from Florida, there's Tyler Batty from Missouri, Uh, There's Pierre Strong from South Dakota State. There's so many good running backs. Tyler Algier, BYU. I mean, I could just go on about Mm -hmm. the running backs that you can get in later rounds that may not be of that top three back caliber, but dang, they're pretty close. And you can get them a little bit later in the draft. So maybe you maximize a different position where the depth isn't as strong, and then you can get running back a little bit later. I didn't even mention the Georgia guys, Samir White. Um, Zeus White and James Cook, those two guys are tremendous. So you've got a lot of opportunity to really help that running back position, I think, in this draft. And you don't have to do it in the second or third round. And because, like I said, those guys I think you get a little bit later. And only so many teams are going to take running backs. I would imagine, let's say there's 32 teams, say maybe 20 of them take running backs. So they're not all 20 going to prioritize taking a running back in the second round. Yeah. So there's going to be running backs in the third, fourth, fifth round that you're going to look up and go, whoa, man, Quan White from South Dakota is, or from uh, South Carolina is available in the fifth round. Let's go. Abram Smith, Baylor, let's go. Uh, two guys that were formerly linebackers uh, last year or two years ago that turned into really good running backs in 2021. So it's a really fun position depth-wise, and it's something – that I know our fans want to know about. They want to know about these running backs because they want to see a young guy come in and do some good things. And in college station, I saw a good one, a local homeboy, uh, Isaiah Spiller. And you know, hopefully he's got an opportunity to come back here to Houston and be kind of nice. And if he comes, maybe he'll take his offensive guard, Kenyon green with him. <laughs> young man from Itasca seat is a dude. So bring both them and let's rock and roll some Aggies. Hey, there's a Texan coaching the Texans now in Lovey Smith, and he's very proud of that. <laughs> yes. When I said that, when I said that, when I brought that up to him, he said, "Say that again." So, <laughs> it. so how about some players who are Texans becoming Texans? Yeah, man, I'm all about Texans becoming Texans. Kenyon Green, Isaiah Spiller, 
We can start there. Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston. I'm going to go see his pro day next week. That's going to be fun. Anybody else? Come on. Let's go. Texans, come to the Texans. It's all good with the head Texan, Lovey Smith of Big Sandy. All right, we get back. Let's learn a little bit of more, a little bit about a guy from the D. That's Detroit. Sauce Gardner. Could he go as high as three? I'm really leaning that way. Let's learn more about him from Justin Williams, the athletic, with DPC to next on Texans All Access. It's on Texans All Access. It's on Texans All Access. It's on Texans. This will happen each and every year at about this time. You start getting draft crushes. Well, DP Sidhu, my good friend, has found her draft crush. It is Cincinnati quarterback Ahmad Gardner. And you go, wait, Ahmad Gardner? Yeah, sauce. That's how you know him. He wears the sauce necklace around his neck. This guy is all baller from the D, from Detroit, Michigan. He is a superstar. And DP got a chance to learn a little bit more about Sauce Gardner from Justin Williams, who covers the Bearcats for The Athletic. DP, let her rip. All right. I'm so glad to have you uh, to talk about Sauce because just in learning about him, we got to start with the name because when you Google him, there's a whole story about how he got the nickname. But since you've covered him, I want to hear it from you. I think a lot of people don't know why he's called Sauce Gardner. And secondly, is this his legal name? Because I have seen him referred to as Sauce without quotes. So it is not his legal name, at least as as far as I'm aware. Now, I I think once you have a diamond encrusted chain that says that, like maybe that counts as as a legal name change. I'm I'm not sure. But yeah, he he got the name from one of his peewee football coaches. You know, it kind of goes back to like he kept calling him Sweet Feet sauce and you know it just kind of developed into sauce over the years the interesting thing was he came in as this really like gangly skinny freshman at Cincinnati in the 2019 class recruiting class I mean 150 pounds with equipment on he he was unbelievably rail thin and even early on when he was like kind of down the depth chart as a freshman, he was not a highly touted recruit three-star out of Detroit, you know, good intriguing prospect, but not someone that people would have guessed would be a top 10, you know, NFL traffic coming in. And he had always kind of said like, Oh yeah, you, you, everyone should call me sauce. And, you know, head coach Luke fickle and, and the coaching staff and a lot of players at Cincinnati were basically like, we're, we're not going to call you that <laughs> until you, you earn sauce. it. Yeah. And in, in 2019, as a, as a true freshman, he had a big pick six interception against UCF. It was a home game for Cincinnati, a night game. They were the underdog at the time. And that it kind of put them in the lead and kind of shifted the momentum of that game. And in the post-game press conference, Luke Fickle was kind of like, all right, I, I guess he's earned the nickname sauce now. And Fickle will still call him a mod and some of the guys, Kobe Bryant, who was his, you know, cornerback duo at Cincinnati, who, who kind of knew him when he came in, he still calls him a mod, but pretty much anyone else calls him sauce, including when I, you know, I started writing it in print. I remember talking to my editor at one point and he was like, you know, if you're an all American and, and you're going to be a top 10 NFL draft pick, I guess we can, we can call you sauce. Plus it's, <laughs> it's just too, too cool of a nickname not to use. It is too cool of a nickname. And, you know, even on the NFL combine prospects list, you know, they had the Cincinnati Bearcats or about like eight of them invited. He was hmm. listed as sauce Gardner, even on that. So I thought maybe it's an official thing, but let's just clear the air with that. I love the fact that he showed up to the combine with the bling necklace that said sauce on it. So, I mean, I have to start with this personality because I can sort of extrapolate between all these little stories, but what is he like off the field? It seems like he's a pretty gregarious, like what you want your cornerback to be personality wise, but 
What can you tell uh, tell us a little bit about him and, and what he's like off the field? Yeah, and this is honestly, it's a credit to him. He is kind of the the perfect mix of like brash, swaggy cornerback and also, you know, humble and determined and hardworking. And it, it can be hard to kind of mesh those two together. I think when you see a cornerback named Sauce and he's he's wearing the the bling and, you know, kind of has this aura about him, you kind of assume like, all right, you know, I, I get who this guy is. And, you know, you shouldn't judge him purely on that, though. If you sit and talk with him, he's, he's really smart. He was a really good student in school, had, you know, like a 3.4 grade point average or, or something like that. I don't even want to sell him short uh, if it was a little higher than that. But just also really hardworking. And a lot of that goes to you know, the culture that Cincinnati has built, Kobe Bryant, who I mentioned, the, the Jim Thorpe Award winner is the other cornerback for, for Cincinnati who's going to get drafted this year as well. He was a couple years older than um, than Sauce and had a huge impact just on him in the weight room and kind of off the field and work ethic and things like that. But yeah, in terms of, you know, confidence in his ability, like it, it's there are very few that are on Sauce's level. You know, there are plenty of like... Um, quotes or examples you can you can point to that he's had over the years in college but the one that I love the most he just said you know a couple weeks ago at the combine he didn't allow a single touchdown pass in coverage at Cincinnati over his three years and a reporter asked him at the combine like what are you going to do you know when you give one up in the NFL a touchdown and his response was I don't plan on giving one up and like that you know that encapsulates sauce in the sense that he totally believes in himself he has that confidence and that swag but he also has the work ethic um, and and kind of the personality uh, traits to back all that up. I think that was one of the things that impressed me the most in reading about him was that he had not given up a touchdown in over a thousand snaps at Cincinnati. So what can you tell us about the strengths of his game? Give us a little snapshot of his style of play. Yeah, you know, like I said, because he was so kind of raw and skinny when he came in, I honestly think as a freshman, he might have been sixth on the cornerback depth chart, like during fall practice of his true freshman year. And he just you know, performed really well, kept getting better, kept getting more opportunities. And it really shifted that UCF game. I mentioned when he had the big pick six UCF runs a high, you know, up-tempo offense. And so they were kind of just rolling in cornerbacks to try to keep everybody fresh. And he made that play and, and just really kind of announced himself. And ever since that point, he became like the lead, you know, boundary cornerback, the guy going against the number one receiver on the other team um, for, for the past three years. So he, you know, he was always kind of in that, toughest cornerback position on the field uh and he's really long he's gotten a lot stronger he plays press man coverage and he's kind of really aggressive and the reason he's able to do that is because he can make up for it with his length you know he has really good speed i think he ran what a four four one right combine Mm -hmm. um but you know the thing that you notice is there'll be times where you think he's gotten beat because he's so aggressive on the line and, and trying to get up there but he has these long arms. You know, I remember there's a game they played at Indiana this past year, Cincinnati, and it looked like, I think it was Ty Freifogel, who's a really good receiver for Indiana, looked like he had him beat late in the game. And Sauce just kind of reached out and batted the, the pass away at the last second on a deep ball. And after the game, quarterback Desmond Ritter, another expected to be high draft pick for, for the Bearcats, said like, yeah, you know, everyone at, at Indiana thought that pass was going to be completed for a big gain. Desmond Ritter sees that every day in practice. There's so many times where he would throw a pass and think he had a a completion in practice and sauce would just reach out and and bat it away. So he's definitely aggressive. It's hard to say that he gambles. I I remember the defensive coordinator for Cincinnati, Mike Tressel talking about how instinctive he is. You know, he had an interception at Notre Dame in the red zone 
not because like it wasn't where he was supposed to be on the play, but he just kind of understood, all right, based on the formation and the way Notre Dame's lining up here, I know where this pass is going to go. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to be in the right spot to, to pick it off. So he definitely, you know, he'll, he'll take his chances, but I think he's really smart about it. And because of his athletic abilities and his length, he does a good job of, you know, if he is a half second behind or if, or if he does make, you know, one wrong step, he's able to make up for it because of his, his traits and abilities. All right. Well, the Bearcats defense was just among the best in the nation last year. They had that 13 and 0 run. They they went in deep into the playoffs. How much do you think last season really elevated his style of play, just going against a different caliber of receivers, going against those playoff teams? How much do you think that really added to what he's able to do out there on the field? Yeah, definitely. He got a lot of recognition after his uh, sophomore year, you know, was on some All-American teams and things like that. But, you know, this is something Cincinnati has has dealt with. It's how do, how do they go? You know, they're in the American Athletic Conference, which is not one of the power five top tier conferences. So what do they look like against the top competition? Sauce, actually, they played Cincinnati played Georgia in the Peach Bowl in end of the 2020 season. And Sauce had back spasms. He wasn't able to play. So that would have been a situation where like, oh, we get to see him against top to your talent and he wasn't able to go but 2021 last season Cincinnati played at Indiana at Notre Dame and then obviously played Alabama in in the Cotton Bowl and those were probably three of Sauce's best games I mean he didn't allow I think more than like 20 something yards in a single game all season uh, as a junior last year but he had an interception against Notre Dame and I think gave up two catches for less than 10 yards to Jamison Williams, uh, you know, against Alabama in, in the cotton bowl. And, and that was probably the best kind of lasting example. Since I didn't play great in that cotton bowl, they obviously didn't win, but I think coming into it, people really wanted to see the Jamison Williams sauce Gardner matchup and, you know, Alabama had its success and was able to find ways to, to score and win the game, but it wasn't, going against sauce it wasn't Jamison Williams breaking out for a big game so I think you definitely saw when he did have chances to go against top flight talent the numbers and the performance were the exact same as they were you know against maybe lesser teams or or in conferences that that weren't quite on the the power five level all right along those lines what's what's a favorite matchup or a memorable game of, of his that you covered you mentioned the Alabama game but are there any others that really stand out in your mind that one, you know, I think was just it it solidified everything that we believed about him, that Alabama game going against Jamison Williams. So that one definitely stands out. I remember last year, kind of the problem that happened with him as a junior last year is teams just stopped throwing against him because, you know, they, they didn't even like look his way which was, you know, kind of funny. He basically started asking the coaches if he could blitz more because there <laughs> were a few instances during the season that he would get a sack on a quarterback because they weren't even looking at his side of the field. So he just screams off the edge, gets a sack because the quarterback had completely blocked that side out of their mind. But I remember talking to him during the season, you know, kind of asking him, like, are you getting bored because teams aren't even looking at you? And he said the team that, you know, one of the teams that went out after him the most was Navy which traditionally runs a triple option is not a passing school, but they got behind. And so they had to start throwing to get back. And it was almost like they didn't care that it was sauce Gardner or they didn't know any better because they're not used to throwing the, the ball. So he was just kind of chuckling at the fact that a game he went into thinking he was never going to have, you know, any chances to, to, to play cornerback to, to go, you know, knock down balls, get, get interceptions was against a team that actually ended up going after him the most. They didn't have much success against him either, but um, I just always remember, you know, talking to him about, yeah, I didn't expect Navy to be one of the teams that actually challenged me the most his junior year. You know, you mentioned his, his measurables and I, there was a lot of talk at the combine, how he just has like the ideal 
measurements and, and really unusual, unique measurements for a cornerback. He's got the size, he's got the length. Um, he, he was undersized coming in as a freshman, but now he's up to 190, or at least that's what they weighed him at the combine. What can you tell us about how he put on that weight and how the measurables will really help him make that transition in the NFL? The fact that he's got those physical traits already there. Yeah, a lot of credit goes to Brady Collins, who's Cincinnati's strength and conditioning coach. I think he recognized, obviously everyone knew Sauce was going to have to get bigger because of how skinny he was. But I think Collins recognized you have the frame that can actually support you playing at 200 pounds. And that's what he played at like two, 205 at Cincinnati, his, his senior or his junior year this past year. I think he dropped a little bit for the combine, um, probably hoping, probably had people telling him it would help him run a little bit faster. But, you know, I've talked to, to Collins a little bit during this process and he was like, you know, he's going to play at 200 in the NFL. And that's what he was at all of last year. So definitely he has, you know, he's kind of just has this freakish, you know, uh, frame and athletic ability that he can be 200 pounds. He can be six, three, he can have these long arms. He can still run, uh, you know, four, four, 40. Everyone talks about his, uh, you know, ability to cover and not allowing touchdowns. Obviously I, I was kind of impressed, especially as a junior, how well he did tackling, you know, he didn't have a ton of opportunities since nice defense was really good, but whether it was him blitzing or, or there's a couple times in the run game where he would come up and, you know, you would expect a guy like that to maybe do the Olay defense as a cornerback. And he didn't, you know, hesitate to stick his nose in there. There was one play against UCF. I think it was a reverse or an end around. And he basically tracked down a, you know, a track star wide receiver from behind, like chased him down. I mean, it was a big gain for UCF, but I think what stood out to scouts was here's a mod Gardner on the other side of the field, chasing a guy 40 yards. That's a track star and bringing him down. And so I, it just seems like anything you could possibly want speed coverage, you know, fluid hips, and even the ability to stick his nose in there, tackle a little bit. He, he seems to have all of it. I mean, you really just said it all right there. And even with a name like sauce, I found it ironic that he says he's never had a drink. He's never smoked. He just has so much discipline. He's got the physical attributes. He's his performance on the field says it all. So with that all being said, what are, what are the weaknesses? I mean, what, what are we missing here? I mean, what, where's some uh, an area of improvement that you think, okay, maybe this is something that might give teams pause or it, it may give him some troubles as a rookie in the NFL. Are, are there any weaknesses to his game? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's, I feel like uh, being an NFL cornerback as a rookie is always humbling. You know, I don't know that he necessarily won against, he goes against Jamison Williams, who's going to be a, a top, NFL pick, but I don't know if he's gone against a, a receiver who could be more physical with him. You know, DK Metcalf might be like the the top tier example, but a guy who's really fast and, and really strong. And okay, if this guy's going to come up and try and play press coverage on me, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it tough for him. Or if it's maybe a team that tries to you know, bring an outside guy over the middle against him. Just how is he going to navigate kind of getting through the the thicket of the middle of the field and, and things like that? I'm sure there are weaknesses. We just never really had a chance to see them at Cincinnati. So in the NFL, teams are not going to take away his side of the field game plan wise. You know, there's not going to be NFL sure. quarterbacks who are acting the same way college quarterbacks were and just not throwing at him. So I think there will definitely be an adjustment as he gets targeted a little bit more and as the talent level that he's going against every week is, you know, obviously much, much higher, but just based on the way he handled everything at Cincinnati, I guess there's no part of me that doesn't believe that he won't, you know, if there are struggles or there are weaknesses that pop up that he won't find a way to, to work against those and, and to, you know, uh, remove them or, or just make sure that they aren't a problem for him. Some great stuff there from Justin Williams, the athletic who covers the Bearcats, a lot of Bearcats getting drafted in April, 
Trust me, a lot of them. All right, let's clean up around the NFL next. We got a little shorty on our way out right here at Texas All Access. At Texas All Access. At Texas All Access. We're going one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and glad to be with you as always. Things in this league are just absolutely crazy. Now, we talked about Tyreek Hill trade from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. Chiefs get back first and second and others. The Dolphins get arguably the most dynamic weapon in the league. It seems like a good trade on both sides. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Now, the Patriots made some noise. The AFC East wasn't dominated completely by the Miami Dolphins. Malcolm Butler, a few weeks back, uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, so two weeks ago, Malcolm Butler was rumored to have been in Houston working out, discussing things with the Texans. There's a connection, obviously. Nick Casario, the GM here with Malcolm Butler when Malcolm was winning Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. Well, he ended up going back to the New England Patriots two years, $9 million for Malcolm Butler. I guess my question at this point is, they can play him at safety? I'm going to play him at corner. That would be a curious one. Obviously, they lost J.C. Jackson. That's going to hurt. But I don't know if Malcolm Butler was even going to play corner for the Cardinals. So it's going to be one to watch. But Malcolm Butler goes back to the Patriots. Also back to the Patriots, and a little bit of a surprise, Trent Brown, the hulking right tackle for the New England Patriots, out on the open market, decides, eh, I'm going right back to where I became essentially a valued piece and that's with the New England Patriots. Now, one player who flirted with the Patriots, and it's okay to flirt, apparently. I don't know. I've been told you can go look at the menu. You just can't eat. I don't know. Anyways, the point being, Leonard Fournette did discuss things with the New England Patriots. However, he is going back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I feel like the Patriots got a ton of running backs. But if you could get Leonard Fournette for a steal, then, yeah, let's talk about it. But he's reversing course. He is going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is where he was. So the Patriots making a lot of noise. But Leonard Fournette decides not to be a Patriot. Trent Brown decides to be a Patriot. And Malcolm Butler returns to be a Patriot. It just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. Now, if you missed it earlier, the Texans added free agents, Kyle Allen. Uh, they added some of their own, Chris Conley, Obo uh, Okwankwo, Dario Kumbwale, Scott Quesenberry to go along with Paul Quesenberry, and not made official, but Andy Janovich, also a part of the Texans right about now. And there you have it. That's the show. Big thanks to Drew. Big thanks to DP, to Justin Williams, to my man Chris Santiago, and to all of you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.